Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton. I'm the founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Ween, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's also a Transforming Community alumni, which means that he and I have been in relationship for a long time. We know how to have fun in a conversation, and we are looking forward to having fun together today. Everybody, we are back. Episode two, A Leader's Journey into Solitude and Silence. And this is all from season one, Sacred Rhythms of the Life of a Leader. I'm here with Ruth Haley Barton. And Ruth, in the transforming community that I went through, one of my most beloved memories is how much you would harangue us about <laughs> technology. People couldn't bring laptops into the sessions, and you always talk to us about our phones. And you told this story this one time, like you had this incredulous look on your face. And you said to all of us, 70 people in the room, you said, some people even sleep next to their phone and it's on <laughs> unbelievable in my mind <laughs> and every single one of us was just you know sinking down in our chairs and you did it purposely because this idea of leaders entering into solitude and silence that's different from just being alone with a book or with our phones um one of the ways I love that you describe silence and solitude is that we're coming home to ourselves in God's presence. We're coming home to ourselves in God in God God's presence. Say more about that. Well, um, many of us are quite out of touch with who we really are, and we're quite out of touch with the truth of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And solitude, when it's cultivated well, it's cultivated as a place to be with God and God alone. Uh, that's by definition what solitude is, is to be with God and God alone. If you're talking about solitude as a spiritual practice, it's about being present to the one who's always present with us. And the other thing that happens quite naturally in that time then is that we're able to own the truth of our own lives and in God's presence say, this is what's true about me right now. Whether it's the good or the bad or the ugly, we're able to get honest with God because we've cultivated solitude as a place of being just in the love of God and being present to God, which is very different than being distracted by your phone or reading a book or whatever, um, unless the book is something that's supporting your spiritual process. But uh, typically we think of being alone as being almost a self-centered time when, when I get to do whatever I want on my own terms. Right. Well, that is very different than being present to God and allowing God to initiate with us and being completely open and receptive to what God has to do and to say in our lives. And our phones just take us out of presence uh, to the one who is always present with us. So, you know, technology has really challenged us as it has to do with solitude and silence because I've been around long enough, and it's embarrassing now to say this, but that I've been leading retreats now long enough that when I first started leading retreats, gasp, there were no <laughs> cell phones. I mean, it's just so embarrassing to admit that because when my generation leaves the planet, we're going to be the last ones to remember, I think, what it was like before we had cell phones and actually didn't even have the choice. If you went away to a retreat center, you had no option of bringing your phone with you. There was no way to do that. So when I first started leading retreats, there were no phones in the room. By coming away to a retreat center, you were by definition by yourself because there was no way. There was only pay phones in the hallways, you know? Right. And then eventually um, I had to, I noticed that some of the really important people in the room might have a pager or a cell phone. That would be doctors, attorneys, things like that. And I understood that was okay. They were, they were good with it. They didn't use it for just keeping up with life on the outside. It was just for emergencies. 
But then eventually everybody had a cell phone, so I had to think about a practice of everybody putting their cell phone in a basket, and I would babysit the cell phones while people were on retreat. So I did that a little bit. But then after that, it got even worse, and then people could bring their actual computers and then there was Wi-Fi connection, so they could actually have their computers. And so eventually, over time, I became something of a solitude Nazi. That's how I identify myself and um, really had to be, like you said, a little bit haranguing. Um, but in the best sense, out of love, really. And I would say this, you know, I feel like a mother bear. I want all of you to have this experience of what happens when you are alone with God without your technologies, because what I've discovered in my own life, and believe me, I really struggle. I, I have kind of an addictive, you know, personality as well, where I can be addicted to this stuff. And what I noticed was that when I thought I could fudge a little bit by having my phone with me in solitude, invariably what would happen would be that I would just be starting to get settled down. God would just be starting to say important things to me. And what would happen? Satan would call. <laughs> on my cell phone. <laughs> Hello, this is Satan. He has your number. <laughs> he does. He has my number. And as soon as God's starting to say something important, the phone rings, you know, and now I'm out of it. My yeah. soul is not as settled as it was. I've missed. I can't even reclaim because God was just starting to say something to me yeah. or I was just starting to be able to hear it. Yeah. And then the moment is gone. And then it takes me another couple hours to get back into that quiet place where I can receive what God has for me. So really this haranguing, this solitude Nazi thing that I do, it's it's out of this deep desire that the people who are on retreat would have this experience of intimacy with God that only deepens as we refuse to allow anything else to take us out of it. Yeah. So last episode, we talked about the dangers of being dangerously tired. We talked about this invitation into retreat. And so I'm just sort of imagining that a leader has taken that invitation. Mm -hmm. And now there they are mm -hmm. in some retreat center. Maybe they're by themselves. Maybe they're maybe it's guided. Mm -hmm. But now they're faced with themselves. Mm -hmm. And they've yes. turned off their phones. Right. Their laptop isn't open. They have, they've, they've arranged their life. Mm -hmm. They don't have to check email. And then we find it extremely challenging yeah. to be there. Mm -hmm. Why is it that Christian leaders and pastors like me mm -hmm. find it so difficult to be in solitude and mm -hmm. silence? Well, I think everybody in our culture finds it difficult, but I think leaders have their own challenges, so I'm going to focus on those. And one of the biggest challenges is the fact that Christian leaders, as well as probably other kinds of leaders, are very identified with their leadership roles. So the only way they know themselves is as leaders. So when I let go of my leadership responsibilities and I'm not living in that identity and I'm not out there trying to get stuff done and I'm not out there making a name for myself and I'm not out there trying to succeed at stuff, well, then we have to face who we really are under the surface of all that doing and all the ways that we typically identify ourselves. And I think one of the most painful parts of a leader entering into solitude and silence is that they have to face where their significance is really coming from because they realize, oh, wow, I think I get a lot more juice out of my role as a leader than I thought I did. And yeah. now that I'm here by myself, nobody here knows me. I don't have an identity. I'm not doing anything and achieving anything. Who am I really? And how much have I been getting my sense of significance from all that I do in the leadership arena? I think that's one of the greatest challenges for a leader walking into solitude and silence. And so we're there and we're feeling all the pangs. It's like I experience it like waves. Mm -hmm. 
a wave of I need, mm-hmm. <laughs> I need a like on Facebook. I need some affirmation from someone. I need to make sure I, I know what's going on. Right. I'm at least in the loop with what's going on out Fear there. Fear of missing out. That's right. Um, and so if you were there with a leader, if you could be there in the corner and just sort of whispering like, mm-hmm. okay, you're, you're feeling all these waves. Mm-hmm. What do we do in that moment? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I like to mention to leaders on retreat is that we like to talk about things like, you know, the battle is the Lord's, you know, or that God is in control or that God loves my people as much as I love my people. But my question in that moment would be, can you trust God with that? Can you trust God with the things that aren't getting done? Can you trust God with... Um, the people that you'd like to still be in touch with right now, the people that tug at your heart or the information you'd like to be getting. Can you trust God with that? Can you trust that what you really need is going to come a different way right. than being connected with everything out there? Can you trust me with yourself? Can you trust me that I will guide you and lead you into what you most most desperately need? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's all about trust at that moment. Uh, can I trust that this practice is a practice that Christians down through the centuries have utilized to open themselves to God and can I trust what this practice is and what it does in the life of a person and can I trust God with myself yes. and with everything that concerns me while I'm here doing what God is inviting me to do. So I think in many ways it, it comes down to trust and whether or not I trust God with myself in these very profound ways. Yeah, beautiful. So how and when did practicing solitude and silence become something that was important and essential in your life. Yeah, well, definitely right at at that moment that I mentioned in the first uh, session that we had, and that is in my early 30s when I had been, you know, for about 10 years, had been on the treadmill of ministry, and I was highly identified with the successes that I was experiencing. I was highly identified with the ministry roles that I could identify and name for people. I was highly identified with what I could do for God. and I was really revved up, really revved up and exhausted. Yeah. And, and everything, I mean, you know, I wasn't living well in my body. I wasn't, um, you know, present in my family the way that they would like. I wasn't sleeping well because I, I was all riled up. So, I mean, it, it was pretty messed up. And um, at that point, it was a spiritual director who told me, you know, Ruth, what you really need is to, is to sit still long enough for the sediment to settle in the water to become clear. And she was referring to this metaphor of the jar of river water that was all shaken up and that it needed to sit still long enough in order for everything to clear up. And she said, what you really need is to, is to incorporate this practice of sitting still in God's presence for a little bit of time every day. And I laugh about the fact that it was really remedial because, you know, typically I understand now that this practice, when it's practiced rightly, it's usually 20 minute sits, if yeah. you will. Well, she only gave me 10 because <laughs> I was so riled up and she knew I wouldn't be able to sit still for 20 minutes. So she gave me this remedial assignment of sitting still for 10 minutes a day. And wow, I thought, oh, I can do that. That's easy. I can do that. It was the hardest thing I have ever done. And for about the first year, I was unable to even get to the 10 minute mark on most days. And I would come back to her and I would say, man, it is so chaotic on the inside. And I, you know, all the questions, I keep wanting to go write to an editor about a book idea. I keep wanting to go move the laundry from the washer to the dryer. Yard work needs to be done right outside the window. I can't even sit still for 10 minutes. And she would say, this is what it's like. Now you know more about yourself than you ever knew before. Now yeah. you know how riled up you are on the inside and how hard it is for you to do this very simple thing that the scriptures talk about, being still. And knowing that I am God or being still and waiting for the Lord. I mean, that's that's an important instruction of Scripture, and you can't do it. Right. Now you know that. Right. And that's good for you to know. 
And then she kept encouraging me to just keep working at it. Not working. There was no work. It was just being willing to be there. And that there was this spiritual law of gravity that is very, very true. And that is that if you can sit still long enough, your soul will settle. Just like the jar of river water will settle. There's this law of gravity that just functions and works. So if you can just sit still long enough, the sediment of your settle, the soul will settle and, and things will become clearer on the yeah. inside. So it was out of a desperate, desperate need and desire for a different way of being on the inside of myself. Yeah. I remember starting to, you know, because when you're in the transforming community, you practice these mm-hmm. things. And so one of the practices after this particular mm-hmm. retreat is to sit in silence mm-hmm. for 10 minutes a day. And so I would experience what people call monkey mind. Yes. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the chatter, 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 right. chatter, chatter. But then when I, and I was just noticing, mm-hmm. it's like I'm looking at myself and I would experience maybe 10 seconds mm-hmm. of non-monkey yes. mind. And, but then I would notice that mm-hmm. and I would feel good about that. And then I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're, you're absolutely right. Over, over time, mm-hmm. as I've cultivated this, um, it, 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 it does settle. And yeah. I think someone told me one time, um, you are not your feelings. Mm-hmm. Your feelings are important. Yeah. Name them. But they come and go. Right. And the settling mm-hmm. um, of our soul into ourselves in, in God's presence, um, that comes yeah. eventually. It does. And the other thing is that we need to understand that the benefits of solitude and silence might not be experienced in the moment when we're in them. We might be experiencing only chaos while we're actually in those moments of solitude and silence. And we might want to dismiss it and say, well, that didn't work. I'm never going to do that again. But the truth is that you actually begin to experience the benefits of solitude and silence in your external life as you reenter it. So you'll realize, oh my goodness, I'm calmer in the midst of this very conflicted situation. Or wow, I'm sitting with someone and they're sharing something deep with me. And a word from the Lord comes that really meets them. Um, So those kinds of experiences start to happen. And we realize, wow, I'm a different person in my life. Even though the experience of solitude and silence still feels quite chaotic, I'm a different person in my life. There are benefits that I am experiencing and that the people around me are experiencing. Thank you so much for saying that. Do you think people give up on these rhythms because they don't get the fireworks? Yeah, because it doesn't feel good in yeah. the moment. Yeah. Uh, and and probably they, they don't even know how to recognize the benefits as they're experiencing right. them in, in their everyday life. And so these kinds of practices are very challenging in a very quick fix, instant gratification uh, kind of culture in which we live. Because this is not McDonald's. This is not, you know, spiritual transformation in the fast food line. You right. know, these practices take time to begin to really see what God can do yeah. in their context. So we have to set aside some of that instant gratification mm-hmm. and be willing to enter into something that just takes a little longer. Yes. So I've heard you say that solitude and silence are kind of the building blocks mm-hmm. for all the other spiritual yeah. practices. But if you don't know, if you haven't cultivated solitude and silence, all the other ones um, aren't really all that helpful. Can mm-hmm. you... Uh, Say more about that? Well, um, let me even introduce a bit of a different metaphor, and that would be the word container. Got it. That um, solitude actually becomes a container because solitude is simply the time that you set apart to be with God and God alone. And then all the other practices are practices that 
well, all the other personal practices are ones that can then be utilized within that time that you've set aside. Yes. So I see solitude as being sort of like a date night, you know, with your spouse. You set aside Friday night and you say, we're going to have a date. We got the babysitter or whatever, but you still have to decide what you're going to do right. during that time. And so that's where all the other practices come in. So if you've set aside the time for solitude, then hopefully you'll spend some time in silence, which is time just you know, being open and receptive as we've been discussing. You can incorporate um, Lexio Divina, ways of being with scripture. You can incorporate ways of praying and, and perhaps journaling out your prayers and things like that. You can incorporate the examen, time of self-examination. Um, you incorporate discernment, you know, sitting with God with the question that you brought. There are all sorts of things that you can do within your solitude time, spiritual practices, but you have to have the container. You have to have the time that's set aside to be with God and God alone. So if, you, if you're not practicing solitude, you don't really have the context or the container for all these other practices. And right. the other thing about solitude and silence is that um, every discipline um, in some way fosters the ability to surrender to God and to give up control because every spiritual practice is meant to kind of get at that issue of our controlling mechanisms and how much we want to control our own destinies and control our own lives. And so solitude and silence in particular are the practices that help us to learn to let go and to let God be the initiator, to let God be the one that controls the interactions, to let God be the one who brings what God only knows that we need that we would never be able right. to figure out ourselves. And so the practice of giving up control within solitude and silence actually prepares us for giving up control in all sorts of other ways too um, in the other practices. So I love that you bring that up because I think if you chip away a little bit at the veneer of what most pastors and Christian leaders think about spiritual formation, you're going to get answers that have to a whole lot more to do with self-improvement mm -hmm. right. than responding to God's initiating right. activity. Mm -hmm. So you said that so well, but can we just underscore that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. That spiritual transformation is... Always about finding ways to give up control. It's about practicing, actually practicing doing something that we're not very good at doing. So solitude and silence gives us a way to practice doing something that we are not good at doing, and that is giving up control. When you sit for 10 minutes with your hands open <laughs> on your lap, not reading your Bible, not reading a self-help book, not journaling, not praying with words, not doing anything, you are practicing giving up control. You're practicing doing something that's very hard for you to do, and it changes you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But we love doing things we're not we, good at. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah, and so, I mean, it is interesting, you know, Dallas Willard has this, I think, an amazing statement about silence. He says that silence is frightening because it casts us upon the stark realities of our life. It reminds us of death because in death there's only us and God. And what happens if there's very little between us and God? And, and I just find that quote to be so penetrating. And, of course, the next question that comes, well, if it's so difficult and challenging, why would you do it? You know, well, the answer to that is because you're looking for something you haven't been able to find in any other way. Yes. So you're willing to try something that is very challenging because you're longing. You know, we're longing to be surrendered to God. Aren't we longing as Christian people to abandon ourselves to God, to be surrendered to the love of God, to give ourselves over rather than working so hard? Well, solitude and silence, as challenging as they are, actually take us there. And so the only reason we would do something that's so challenging and counterintuitive is because our longing is deeper. So it just comes back to desire. It comes back to it desire, comes back to always. what do you really yes, want? exactly. And so when pastors, when I sit with pastors in a spiritual direction kind of a way and their prayer life isn't working or whatever, I'll actually say, well, stop all that. All yeah. that stuff that's not working, just stop that. 
and go back to this question of desire and what do you want me to do for you. Let it all go. Don't come back into anything that doesn't come motivated because you're longing for it and desiring it. And it's very counterintuitive. And of course, it's frightening for a a pastor to be told, well, stop the prayer life the way you've been doing it. Stop reading the Bible the way you've been reading it. It's scary to let go of that if that's all we know. But if you don't, then you can't come into contact with that deep desire that will eventually lead you to where you need to go spiritually. Uh, so I am sitting at my retreat. I'm. I've, this is my third session of trying to do silence and solitude. I've set the timer on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> that's right next to me. That's right. That I'm clutching. <laughs> With my claws. And um, I'm noticing thoughts, the, the laundry list. The mm-hmm. What do I do with those thoughts so I don't clutch them mm-hmm. so tightly? Because there's a way of being in solitude and silence where I'm shaming myself for thinking for not being things. able to do this any yeah. better. And so walk <clears throat> me through how do I do? How do I notice without judging? How do I let them float by me mm-hmm. on the river? Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, well, you're you know you're alluding to you know one of the metaphors that I use, and that is that you can envision yourself you know sitting on a hill in front of a river watching you know boats go by and that when your thoughts and concerns and ideas come into your head that they're like boats on the river or they're like clouds floating by in the sky what do you do with boats on a river or clouds in the sky you don't try to harness them you don't try to get on them you don't try to do anything with them you just watch them and they're beautiful and you let them go by or maybe they're difficult and challenging but you just let them go by and you trust and this is this is hard this is very challenging You trust that if they are really important, God will bring them back in the right time. So see, it comes right back to trust. Now, some people, and I would consider this to be an intermediary step, some people will keep a pad of paper beside them and actually jot things down so that they can remember them. I think that's intermediary. I don't think that's complete trust. But at least it gives you a way to offload it so that you can go on and continue to be present to God. So I think you got a couple options. You can jot it down so that you can go back to it when you want to, or you can decide on total trust and decide, I'm going to let that float by, and if it's important, God will bring it back to me. Wow, that's really challenging. Yeah. It's really challenging, especially if you get a really fabulous sermon idea. Right. right? It's like, are you kidding? I'm going to trust God to bring that back? <laughs> I'm writing that down. I'd rather down. trust myself to I'm write it down. That down. That's so funny. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about what are the kinds of things you need to say no to in order to say yes mm-hmm. to solitude yeah. and silence. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about one, and that is that you do need to say no to technology, yeah. as difficult as that is. Um, one of the things that discourages me is that the retreat centers are now starting to offer Wi-Fi connections. And it used to be that when you went to a retreat center, it would be a built-in guardrail right. right there because you literally couldn't get it wouldn't do any good to bring your computer in because you know they don't have wi-fi anyway but now many of them do i think it's it's getting harder and harder to find places where there's any guardrails provided for you yeah um by what the the venue provides or doesn't provide but i i would suggest you know leaving leaving the phone and the computer home or in the car or something like that most of us can't 
handle the temptation of having those things right with us in our retreat cell. Um, We've had some uh, really sweet experiences in our current, one of our current transforming communities where um, a couple of the young guys, there was one guy in particular, one of our team noticed that he had his phone down here and down by his feet, you know, and while we're sitting and is actually working on it. And, and, and it was in a chapel service. It was in a prayer service and he had his phone down here and there was a team member who observed it and she came up to me and she said, should I say something to him about it? And um, lo and behold, when we went into solitude that night, he actually handed his phone to her. Oh, and wow. he said, "Would you take this for me? I am. I, just can't I, I can't stop. And I and I realize that I'm so embarrassed. Would you take it for me? Now, this last retreat, she came. Three or four people had given her their phones because they know they are. They know they're out of their league. They know they can't control it if they keep it with them. So that we do really have to say no to technology because the interruptions, the constant interruptions." Um, make it impossible for us to get into that deeper down place. The other thing, and this is a tough one, and and it's hard for me because I have a very full family life. I I, I have, you know, family that I love that are all right here local and love being close all the time. You do say no to your relationships. You do say no to your human relationships. And you say, you know, I'm going to be out of pocket for a while, however long it is. And I think it's really important that we set that up lovingly with our people, with our spouses, with our children, with our aging parents, yeah. with our, you know, that we our, our work associates need to know and be set up well for us to be out of pocket. Yep. But what we are saying is we're saying, I'm not going to be available to you right now because I'm being completely available to God. Wow. And and no one likes that. Right. People want to feel like they're important enough that if they need us, they can get us. They can right. interrupt us. Yeah, so and there's even it's a hard one. If I text you, I expect mm-hmm. a response within minutes. Exactly, which is why we really do have to set the expectation with people so that number one, they don't think we're blowing them off because right. we're not trying to be disrespectful to people. Right. Number two, especially in the intimacy of family life, we want them to know that we're okay. So if we don't set it up and they text us and they don't hear back from us and it's unusual, they might actually worry about our well-being. Right. And so we need to set it up. We need to tell people where we are. Um, also, I think if we can go someplace that has an emergency number where they can come get us, that's the other thing. I had one experience in solitude in silence that really marked me. Mm. Um, I went in. People know I knew I was going into solitude and silence, and I turned off my cell phone. But because of cell phones, you don't think of giving any other number anymore like the number of the retreat center or the number of the, you know, wherever it is that you're going to be. And so I turned my my phone off for 24 hours. And when I turned it back on, I had all these phone messages because my youngest daughter went in for an emergency appendectomy and nobody could get me. It was awful. I felt terrible. Um, I left immediately. And I fortunately, I got there when she came out of of her surgery. So she had to go in without me being around. But when she came out, I was there. But it was really that that marked me because I realized I got to set this up right yeah. so that if I am needed, um, people can get people, you. people can find me. Yeah. Um, because there are certain things that I believe God would want us to elevate in priority. We can tr- we still trust God. She would have been fine even if I hadn't gotten there. Yep. But I would have hated for her to not be there when she woke up yeah. from anesthesia. Oh, totally. Yeah. And you know, that's an extreme example. I think most of the time that's not going to happen. That's right. And I in remember, all my days, that's been the only right, time it's one, happened. One time. One time. I, I remember studying with this rabbi that I know uh, when Moses goes up mm-hmm. on the mountain to receive yeah. you know, the Ten Commandments. And when he comes back down, I mean, people are worshiping the golden right. calf. It's a, it's a crisis. Yeah, it's a crisis. It's a crisis. And yep. his thought was, when you go away, 
things will mm-hmm. fall apart. Yeah. They mm-hmm. they will. Yeah. You have to go away yeah. anyway. That's right. So even even the excuse that someone might have is like, oh, it's mm-hmm. way too crazy That's in right. this season right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. If I left, it would be right. nuts. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to go anyway. Yeah. And that That's comes right. back to trust, doesn't right. it? Right. The other thing, let's talk about work and pastoral yeah. work, especially as it relates to pastors. Then um, people still are going to need pastoral care. You make sure you got a pastor on duty. Yeah. Because that's one of the ways you can go and be okay, yep. um, is that you put a pastor on duty who will answer the phone and um, will take care of things in your absence. Now, the other interesting thing there is that we might discover that we're a little bit more indispensable or a we little bit more dispensable are. than you want to believe. <laughs> oh. So I remember one time an Episcopal priest, a senior you know, clergy person, he came away on retreat for the first time in his whole experience. He put a junior priest in charge. And he unplugged and all that. And then when he came back into the loop, there had been a death. And the young associate had done the funeral. Everybody was ecstatic about how he had run the funeral. And this guy was like, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I feel really good about the fact that they could do all that without me. And they loved my associate and all that. So, wow. So you're letting go of your own ego, too, right? You're letting go of your own feelings of indispensability and how good it sometimes feels to be indispensable. It's very shattering to the ego. Ouch is right. Ruth, this was so good, this invitation into solitude and silence. And uh, your book on this, Invitation to Solitude and Silence, is so helpful, uh, examining the life of Elijah, mm-hmm. I believe it is. And um, so for anyone who wants to take a deep dive right now, get the book. It's so good. You can get it on the show notes uh, on Transforming Center. So thank you so much. Next episode, we're going to talk all about prayer. Mm-hmm. And we're going to touch on uh, what happens when a pastor or Christian leader feels like they don't know how to pray anymore. We're going to talk about seasons and maturing in prayer life to where maybe if you feel like you don't have to pray anymore, maybe you're not a total heretic. Maybe you're actually progressing your spiritual life. So we're going to talk about that in episode three. So fun. Uh, I love this. So do you have anything to tee up? Uh, that episode with? Well, we're going to talk about intimacy, yes, which is a challenging topic in our culture. Always gets sexualized. Nobody wants right. to use the word intimacy. So we're going to talk about intimacy. So get ready, you know, get ready. All right, people. <laughs> Boom. All right. Thank you so much, Ruth. And thank you everybody for listening. Make sure to check out the show notes and uh, we'll see you next episode. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts out there, and we are grateful that you've chosen to spend this 30 minutes with us. Thank you so much, Steve, for such a great set of questions and for taking your own step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. Now, I'd like to ask you a favor. I'd like to ask if you would help us to launch this podcast by doing a couple things. First, would you download these three episodes on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast? Now, I admit I know nothing about what I'm saying, but I'm still asking you to do it because the guys around here are telling me that this is the cool thing to do. Um, Also, if you would leave a rating and a review in iTunes, that would be great as well. Thank you so much for helping us in this way. If you're a pastor or a clergy person or hold a leadership position in some Christian ministry organization, and if you want to forge a stronger connection between your soul and your leadership, and if the topic of today strikes a chord with you, um, consider this as an invitation to learn more about the Transforming Community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for pastors and Christian leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture. It's animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community. It's informed by the richness and the diversity of our Christian heritage. 
Here in the Transforming Center, we are excited to be celebrating our 15-year anniversary, and the launch of this podcast series is a part of that celebration. So as we celebrate, we want to give a gift to you, and we'd like to waive the $50 application fee for the Transforming Community through April 15th. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit our blog, transformingcenter.org, find the show notes for this episode, and we'll also have links there to the other resources that we have mentioned in this podcast. Thank you for listening. We pray that these resources and this conversation will be an ongoing blessing for you in your life and leadership.